Today's passage is from 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you so much, Caroline, for reading God's word for us so well. And thank you, Paul, for leading us in a time of worship. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Joel. I'm the associate pastor serving here at One Covenant Church. And if you are new to our church and I haven't had a chance to talk to you, uh, do feel free to approach me uh, after this service and I'll be very happy to have a chat with you. Now, before I preach God's word this morning, I just have three things uh, to to bring your attention to. The first is that we will have a baptism and membership acceptance at the second service, so not at this service, but at the second service. So feel free to join us as we celebrate and as we welcome new members in our midst. The second is that we are coming to the end of the topical series on deacons, and so next week we'll actually be starting a new sermon series looking at the book of Leviticus. Now, Leviticus is often seen as the death nail to all Bible reading plans. You know, you read Genesis, and then you read Exodus, and then you come to Leviticus, and you're like, what is this? And then you find yourself stuck in the wilderness. And, but I hope that, you know, as you walk through this sermon series, as we look through the book of Leviticus, that we'll actually see that Leviticus is actually a very rich book, and that there are many strong Christological elements in it, and how it points, us, points, points forward to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So I, so I hope that you'll look forward as we start a new sermon series next week on Leviticus. And the third thing is this, that because we're here at the end of the series on deacons, it also, means, it also signals the start of the nomination period for deacons. And this means that you, from today onwards, you'll be able to nominate deacons if you're a communicant member of our church. And the nominations will open from today all the way to the end of June. So if you're a member of our church, you will receive a link to a nomination form where you can submit your nominations for who you think uh, will be a suitable candidate as a deacon. So do take note of that. Do take note, uh, do uh, keep an eye, uh, keep a lookout for for this link, they'll be sending out to all members, and then you can submit your nominations. All right, so we are here on the last week, the last Sunday of, of this topical series on deacons, and we'll be looking at First Timothy chapter 3, looking at the qualifications for deacons. And as we do that, let's pray and ask God for His help as we hear from His Word this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you that you are the High King of Heaven, that you are the God who saved us. And because of this, we, we know, we recognize that you deserve all of the glory and you deserve all of, the praise, all of the praises from our lips. And Father, I pray that as we come before you, as we hear from your word this morning, would you humble each one of us and may you cause us to delight in your word and to rejoice in what you're doing in our midst. So we come before you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, as I mentioned earlier, we're working through a topical study of deacons. And let me just give a brief recap of what we have looked at so far. We've looked at God's heart for the poor. We looked at it from the perspective of the whole Bible, from the Old Testament and the New Testament, and see how God has this, has this compassionate heart for the poor. And then we looked at the importance of, of every believer's service, which means that all of us, not just the leaders of the church, but everyone, every believer is called to serve one another. And then last week, Pastor Z, he preached from Acts chapter 6, and we looked at what deacons are called to do. Now this morning, we'll round up this series by looking at what deacons are, are called to be, and meaning we'll be focusing on the qualifications of deacons. Now when we look at qualifications, you know, it's easy for us to think in terms of a job interview. You know, we think about the skills that a person needs to have as a potential employee. You know, we think about the skills like knowing how to use Excel sheet, you know, or needing to know languages or computer languages like C++ and JavaScript. And we list all of these skills on our LinkedIn profiles. But what we need to recognize is that God is not looking, first of all, for skill sets. He's not looking at our educational levels even. So the focus is not on what people are able to do, but rather the emphasis is on who they are. The emphasis is on their character. And we actually see the same thing for elders when you look at their qualifications in First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 7. And there's this emphasis on character. And this is important because of our own tendencies towards pragmatism. Now, what do I mean by that? It means that we are simply looking for people who can get things done. We're just looking for people who can do things quickly and get things done. But at the same time, we need to recognize that if these people have no godly character at the same time, then all of that can actually be, be detrimental. It can actually be detrimental to the health of the church. And so we need to be God, we need to be mindful of that and we need to guard our hearts against that form of pragmatism. Now we need we you notice that when you look at the qualifications of the elder and the deacon, you notice that the qualifications are actually very similar. Now, why is that? Well, you know, the elder and the deacon are actually church officers. And I'm not referring to, you know, officers in terms of like a building space. But what I mean by church officers is that they are leaders called by God to govern and lead his church. And the elder and the deacons, they have different roles to play. You have the elders who focus on the spiritual needs of the church. And you have the deacons who focus on the physical needs of the church. And let me just say this, that the elders are not just here to preach and to teach. What they're called to do is to care for the spiritual needs of the church. And this often involves doing things behind the scenes, doing things that people will not, it, that's not immediately visible to our eyes. And so we need to be mindful of that, that the elders in our church often do things behind the scenes. And so it's a lot of hard work and we should, we should encourage our elders as they persist and as they do their work of ministry. So the elders and the deacons, they are different officers, they have different roles, but both of them are called to lead. And this is why their qualifications are so similar. And this also means 
that we are to look up to the deacons, much like the elders. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, it says that a deacon must be dignified, and this means that their conduct is actually worthy of respect. Back in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, it says that the church were to, was to look for men of good repute. And so, reputation is very important. Their public reputation is something that is important, and they are people that we can look up to. Now, this doesn't mean that they are perfect people. In fact, when you look at the qualifications, when you look at the traits, they're actually very ordinary traits. These are traits that you can actually expect of believers in general. So what we're looking for, we're not looking for superhuman beings. We're not looking for supermen to be deacons. But what we're looking for are godly examples for the flock. These are people that we can look up to. And what we have in our passage from 1 Timothy chapter 3 lays out what we should look for in a potential deacon. So let's examine what our text has to say about deacons. And in three points, no alliterations today, but in three simple points, what a deacon must not be, what a deacon must be, and what keeps a deacon going. So let's look at our first point. And so if your Bibles turn with me to verse 8 of 1 Timothy chapter 3, this is what it says. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. And so you see here there are three prohibitions, and actually these prohibitions revolve around the idea of self-control. And let me explain how. So first, deacons are not double-tongued. And what this means is that it means saying one thing and meaning another, or having the habit of saying one thing to one person and another to another person. And so what this calls for, actually, is a need to exercise self-control in one's speech. It means avoiding things like gossip, avoiding things like slanders, or even unnecessary disclosure on, of information, especially when one is serving. And actually, at the heart of it, all of these things are actually people-pleasing actions. These are actions that says more about one's fear of men rather than fear of God. Now, why is this important for deacons? Well, the reason is this, that a deacon, uh, as a result of his service, he will have many interactions with people, whether it is inside of the church or outside of the church. And if a deacon does not control his tongue, then he will disrupt fellowship within the church, or he will be providing a stumbling witness to the people in the outside world. And instead, the deacon is called to be careful. He is to be careful with his speech while caring for the needs of people. And what this calls for is uh, for the deacon to be a truth teller rather than a people pleaser in his words. And so that's the first sub-point. The second is that deacons are not addicted to much wine. Now, if the first sub-point focuses on exercising self-control in one's speech, then this point looks at self-control in one's appetite. Now, what's the reason for this? Well, a deacon who is addicted to wine will lack soberness and he will lack the ability to judge and to discern. And so this is the reason why a deacon is not to be addicted to much wine. And yet, we can also draw out 
a general principle from this, which is the temptation of other kinds of addiction. And all of these addictions, they pose a problem to the work of the deacon because what they do is that they impair and they hinder a deacon's focus and his witness. Now remember, when we talk about the role of a deacon, we mentioned that the role of the deacon is to free believers from the cares of this world by meeting the needs of people so that they may be free to enjoy the salvation that they have in Jesus Christ. Now, if the deacon himself is captivated by the things of this world, then how is he able to do the work of freeing other people from worldly things. And for this reason, the deacon himself needs to be watchful of his own heart and he needs to be careful of all of his addictions lest he becomes snared by them. And third, a related point is this, that deacons are not greedy for dishonest gain. And this gets at the idea of financial self-control. A deacon needs to be watchful of his own heart unless he gives way to greed and unless he fills his pocket with what is not his. Now, I came across a quote by Gandhi this past week. It's very interesting. He says that the world has enough for everyone's needs but not everyone's greed. And it's interesting because it illustrates for us the insatiable nature of greed itself and it warns us of the dangers that come with greed. And this is important, especially when we consider the role of the deacon because a deacon, as he cares for the physical needs of the church, this involves tapping on the finances of the church. And when you're exposed to money, you're also exposed at the same time to the temptation that comes with it. And with this temptation, there's the danger of keeping some for yourself rather than giving generously to the poor and to the needy. And this is why the deacon is not to be greedy. He is not to be greedy for dishonest and selfish gain. So we have these three aspects of self-control that's required of a deacon. Now you might wonder why self-control is so important, not just important for the deacon, but important for ministry in general. And it's important because it means serving with discernment. It means serving with deliberation and not out of impulse. And we need to recognize that self-control often involves thinking before acting. It often involves thinking before speaking. And if we lack self-control, it means that everything that we do is rooted in our impulses. And what happens is that impulsiveness is actually a form of bad witness. It actually loses credibility and it loses trustworthiness before other people. And without self-control, it's actually very easy for us to be sidetracked by, by what's unimportant and for us to move away from what is our mission. And so self-control is very important in this aspect, but we need to recognize that this self-control is not just about controlling our external speech. It's not just about controlling our external actions, but self-control comes from the Holy Spirit. And, we, and you may remember in Galatians chapter 5 that self-control is actually one of the characteristics of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so the self-control that's in view here is one that flows out from a heart that is transformed by the Holy Spirit. And this is important 
we need to ask the Holy Spirit for self-control in our hearts and we need the Holy Spirit to help us to exercise self-control before the world. And without it, the church will lose any respect from the world and our witness will become compromised. And this is why self-control is important. Now, having looked at these negative traits, you know, what are some positive traits that a deacon needs to have? Now, this brings us to our second point on what a deacon must be. Again, three sub-points, and let me just walk them through in order. First, a deacon needs to have sound doctrinal understanding. So look at verse 9 with me. This is what it says. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now the mystery here is not referring to a kind of secret knowledge or a kind of mysterious knowledge that only a secret group knows about. But rather the mystery here refers to what was previously hidden or only partially revealed but now in the present moment is now revealed in a fuller way. And in particular, it refers to understanding doctrine that is drawn out from the entire Bible, not just the Old Testament, not just from the New Testament, but from the Bible as a whole. A New Testament scholar, G.K. Beale, he puts it this way. He says that what is in view here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is a revelation that largely concerns a body of teaching or Christian doctrine. Now, deacons are not required to have the gift of teaching, you know, but we do see that with the elders in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. But deacons are required to understand doctrine, and they need to profess them with a clear conscience. And this means that they need to believe and live out what they understand to be true, though they're not required to teach them. Now, as part of our training process, the deacons will be required to read through the Westminster Standards. Now, these are the confessional documents that we subscribe to, and they need to read, for instance, the Westminster Shorter, Let Shorter Catechism, the Larger Catechism, and the Westminster Confession of Faith. And in fact, the first half of our training will actually focus on reading through and understanding the Westminster Confession of Faith. And one of the, the vows that deacons actually have to take is this vow. Do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession and catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Bible? And so as deacons, they need to believe in the doctrines that we hold on to with a clear conscience. And perhaps there'll be opportunities for them to speak these truths in their service to people. So it'll be important for deacons to know these truths. And this is why they need to understand sound doctrine. Second, deacons need to be tested for faithfulness. And you see this in verse 10. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Now, the idea of blameless here is not being sinless, it's not being sinless but rather it's the idea of being faithful and not worthy of reproach from other people. And that's the idea of being blameless here. Now, Paul is not explicit in this, about this duration of testing, you know, whether they are weeks or months or years. We don't see this in this passage. But what is emphasized is a season of testing 
for those who are called to be deacons. And what does this look like? Well, it looks like this. When you're nominating deacons, you should look out for those who are already serving in church. And this means that you already have a taste or some taste of their deaconing work in church, that you have seen them in action and you have actually seen them serving in church, regardless of what ministries they're in. And when these candidates are presented to the church, you should not be shocked by them. And what I mean is this, that it's not, I'm not talking about a kind of surprise because you look at a candidate and you're like, oh, okay, I don't quite know this person, but I'm willing to know the person better. So it's not surprise because you didn't know the person, but rather it's shock because you did know the person, that you look at the person and it's like, what? Are you kidding me? That guy? That guy is going to be a deacon? Are you kidding me? So it's not surprise because you didn't know, but it's shock because you did know the person. And so it's important for us to identify those who have served in the church and they've demonstrated faithfulness in their service in the life of the church. And this is what Paul means uh, by them needing to be tested first. And third, the third point is this, that deacons need to be able to manage their families well, so look at verses 11 to 12. This is what it says. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. So deacons are called to manage their households well, just like the elders of the church. Now, the idea of being husband of one wife doesn't mean that only married, married husbands can be deacons. In fact, the phrase here in the Greek literally means a man of one woman, which means that the emphasis is on marital fidelity, is on faithfulness in one's marriage. So the sense here is actually this. If a deacon has a wife, then he needs to be faithful to her in his marriage. And similarly, when it speaks about managing children, it doesn't mean that a deacon must have children before they can be ordained as deacons. But rather, the sense here is this, that if a deacon has children, then the children are actually respecting of their authorities, that their children are actually submissive to their authority. And this is important because the task of managing one's household involves being deliberate, it involves being diligent, it involves being vigilant as well. And all of these are important traits when one begins to serve as a deacon. So put it another way, there's no such thing as a good deacon who is a disaster and a failure as a family man. Now, it's interesting that Paul stresses the importance of godly character in the deacons' wives. So like the deacons themselves, the wives are called to be godly Christians. Now, in all likelihood, the wives will be involved in some of their husbands' work, their diaconal work, and especially when it comes to helping other women who are needy. And for this reason, it's important to, for the deacons' wife to have godly character as well. But here's the complicated thing. Here's the thing that gets a little complicated. If you read other translations, 
you may notice that not all translations translate wives in verse 11. In fact, the word in Greek can actually be translated as wives or women. And actually, many translations go with the translation women instead. And what this does is this. It leaves room for the argument that Paul is not addressing the wives of deacon, but he's addressing women workers in the diaconate. Now, if they are women workers, you know, are they ordained as deaconesses with the male deacons? Or are these workers actually non-ordained helpers to the diaconate? Now, this brings us to a very delicate question of whether women are called to the office of deacon in the church. Now, I recognize that this is a very sensitive and delicate topic, and so I want to to deal with this and to address this um, as delicately as possible. Um, as a church, our stand is that the office of deacon is something reserved for qualified men. Now, there are various reasons that we can give, but let me just highlight two for us this morning, both from the text and from our overall understanding of the Bible. The first point is this. It seems unnecessary to single out women if the office of deacon is already open to male and female. It seems unnecessary to single out women if the office of deacon is already open to male and female. Now, if Paul intended to address deaconesses in verse 11, it would mean speaking to male deacons first in verses 8 to 10, then, then turning to the deaconesses in verse 11 before returning to the male deacons in verses 12 to 13. And what this does is that it creates a very awkward flow in Paul's argument. And there are no textual clues to suggest that Paul intends to switch to the topic of female deacons. And it actually seems more reasonable that Paul is focusing here on male deacons in this passage, while including the character of the wife as an excursus to highlight its importance in ministry. And another thing we need to note is this, that the women in verse 11 are not required to be tested first. They're not required to be tested first before serving. And this is different from the male deacons that we find in verse 10. And this suggests that women do not hold the office of deacon, or rather, Paul doesn't have that in mind. So it seems more likely from a reading of the text itself that Paul is addressing the wives of deacon who are involved but not ordained in the diaconate. So this is the first point. The second point is this the office of deacon is an ordained office. And since an ordained office involves having and exercising authority, this means that the office of deacon is reserved for men. Only Now, just a chapter before this, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, this is what Paul says. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Now, many people look at this verse and they say that, well, Paul is addressing a particular cultural uh, context that arose in the church at Ephesus. And so this is just meant for the church uh, in their moment, but it doesn't apply to all of us. But I want you to read carefully and see what Paul goes on to say in verse 13. This is what he says. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. This is the reason that Paul gives, that for Adam was formed first, then Eve. In other words, 
No, the reason why women are not called to the office of deacon, the reason why women are not called to the ordained office actually has nothing to do with uh, one's uh, cultural context or even some idea of masculine superiority. It has nothing to do with all of that. But rather, it's rooted in the order of creation that Adam was created first before Eve. And since this is something that is rooted in creation, it means that this is not a consequence of sin and that all of us, the churches everywhere, are called to observe this. The New Testament scholar, Danny Burke, he puts it this way, because this prohibition is rooted in the order of creation, it is a transcultural principle to be observed for all times and ages. Now, this is important as you think about the church as a family. Now, when we think of families, we recognize that Different family members have different roles to play in a household. But at the same time, this doesn't mean that other members of the family are not allowed to help and support one another. And similarly, we find this in the role of the elders and the role of the deacons, that the deacons are called to serve in a, spe in a specific role, to serve in a specific way. Now, the differences in roles are meant to complement one another so that the church of God may be built up onto maturity. But this doesn't mean that no one, that no one else is allowed to help with the work of the diaconate. As we saw earlier on, that the wives of the deacons are involved in important ways in the diaconate. And you may recall from our from our reading of Acts chapter 6, that you had seven deacons who were ordained by the apostles and they were called to serve 8,000 people in the church. And it's quite likely that they were not the only ones doing it. In fact, what happened is that the deacons actually mobilized people in the church so that all of the needs in the early church may be met. And this is the same thing that we find in the church of God in our context today, that when everyone is serving at the same time while acknowledging the roles that each of us play, this ensures that the physical needs of the church may be met. And this is how the household of God functions in our lives today, so that God's people may enjoy the freedom of salvation without being burdened by physical needs. So we have the deacons who play a specific role, but they mobilize the entire church so that everyone may be mobilized to serve and that all of the physical needs in the church will be served. So this is what a deacon must be, but we recognize that you know, being a deacon is very hard. It's not easy work at all. So what's the thing that keeps a deacon going in the midst of discouragement and in the midst of fatigue? Now this brings us to our final point, and I'll keep this brief. Now let's look at verse 13 together. This is what it says. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Oh, there are two motivations here. Horizontally, it comes from the church, and vertically, it comes from Jesus Christ. So first, horizontally, the deacons who serve well will gain a good standing for themselves. And the emphasis here is about being recognized by the church. And the deacon is being recognized by the church for his faithfulness. Now, this respect from the church is not meant to be the motivation for becoming a deacon, you know, as if it's some kind of prestige that we should seek after. 
but rather we should view it as an encouragement. It's an encouragement to the deacon as he devotes himself to the service of God's people. And this is needed because, as I mentioned, the work of the deacon is often demanding. So it can actually encourage the deacon in his work when he is respected and when he is supported by the church. And this is the reason why a deacon can continue to serve, a deacon can persist in his service because he has the support of the church. And so this is the first reason. The second is this. The deacons who are faithful will have great confidence in the faith in Christ Jesus. Now there's some ambiguity in the translation, but what this seems to be getting at is the idea of speaking freely with boldness and with confidence. The Old Testament scholar Cornelius Van Dam, he puts it this way, the deacon will receive the ability to speak openly and frankly in exhorting and comforting those to whom he ministers. Now, why is this important? It's important important because of this, because the people that the deacon ministers to are often in pain and they're suffering. And because of that, they need to experience the power of God's word in their lives. And it's in this situation that it becomes important for the deacon to encourage them by speaking with power and by speaking with boldness. And this boldness is not something that comes from the deacon himself, but it comes from Jesus Christ. It comes from his faith in Jesus Christ. You see, when the deacon does his work with full dependence on his Savior, on Christ, it actually shifts the attention away from the deacon himself and shifts towards Jesus Christ. So the deacon is not self-dependent. He's not dependent on his ability, but he's dependent on Jesus Christ. And what happens as a result is this, that the needy, when when he or she is receiving help from the deacon, he doesn't just see how good the deacon is or how great the deacon is, but what he sees when he looks at the deacon, or he or she looks at the deacon, is that the person sees Jesus Christ. The person, the needy person, sees Jesus Christ reflected in the deacon. And as a result of this, the deacon himself will actually be encouraged. The deacon will actually be strengthened in his faith, that he will receive assurance in his faith as he ministers to people, that as he looks out for their, looks out for their physical needs, at the same time, they will be helped in their spiritual needs as well. And this is the encouragement that keeps a deacon going. Now, a deacon is often doing grunt work and not stage work when he helps the needs of other people. In this regard, isn't it encouraging to know about the promise that comes with being faithful in one's ministry? Now, Matt Smatteras, he puts it this way on the reward of the deacon. Though the call to diaconal service is not glamorous, the reward is glorious. So those who are called to be deacons are indeed blessed. Those who are called to be deacons are privileged because of the reward which they have in the present moment. And these are not earthly rewards, but they are eternal, heavenly rewards. 
and they may be encouraged as they look forward to that great day when Jesus comes back and when their service ends and they are no longer needy people in God's kingdom. And this is the future hope that deacons may have as they serve God's people. Now, as we conclude our time together, as we round up you know, this topical series, you may wonder if anyone is qualified to be a deacon. You may wonder that very question, and perhaps you're wondering if you yourself are suitable to be a deacon. Now, the fact is this. If we are too focused on ourselves, if we are only focused on looking inwardly, all we'll see are sin, and all we'll see is unworthiness. That is the reality if we are only focusing on ourselves. So what are, what are we called to do as, pe- as the people of God? What we are called to do is to look to Jesus Christ. We are called to look to Jesus, the true and perfect deacon. Jesus is the only one who meets all of his qualifications, all of these qualifications in First Timothy chapter 3, flawlessly. He's the only one who's able to do that. And yet in his flawlessness, Jesus took on our sins. He took on our flaws so that we may not be condemned for them. Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve. And this is what Jesus went through to save his people in his life and in his suffering, even to the point of death. And this was the extent of his love towards us. And even right now, we know that his love towards us is real. And how do we know that? We know that because Jesus gave deacons to his church. Jesus gave deacons to his church so that he may show his love in tangible ways. Jesus cares not just for our spiritual needs, but he cares for our physical needs as well. And it's because Jesus gave deacons to the church, this is how we can have the assurance that he truly loves us, even right now. And for the rest of us, what we are called to do is to love one another. We are called to love one another and to prefer the needs of one another. And by doing this, we show the love of Jesus to the world around us. As our brother Paul quoted earlier on from John chapter 13, verse 35, it says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so, friends, as those who have known the service of Jesus, let's follow him as his servants. And this is not just something for those who are called to be deacons, but it's a call that extends to everyone. Let's examine our own hearts so that we may serve others, not out of our own self-interest, but out of the interest of others. Let's serve out of a genuine heart of love and mercy towards the needy among us. Let's support the, the work of the diaconal ministry as a church. Let's pray that God will raise up deacons from among us who will hear God's call to ministry and desire to please God in their service. 
And friends, finally, let's all look to the greatest deacon of all, Jesus Christ. The same perfect Jesus is the same Savior who came down to serve us. And we have the promise that Jesus will return to make all things new. And so friends, as we serve, let us be encouraged. Let us be encouraged as we look forward to the return of Jesus. Let us be encouraged as we look forward to the day when there are no needy among us and all of us will be completely free to sing praises to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Servant King. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us your Son who came down from heaven not to be served, but to serve. And Father, we thank you for the gospel that helps us to see what true service looks like. And Father, we recognize that we cannot truly serve until you've changed us from the inside out. And Father, we pray that your spirit will convict us and help us to serve one another with genuine hearts. We pray that you raise up godly men from among us who will serve you as deacons. And Father, we pray that you'll keep us faithful in your service and all for your glory. And so hear us, Father, as we pray all of us in Jesus' name. Amen. On